0: This podcast is made possible by Yousician, an online music education platform where you can learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and singing. Just download the app and start playing. Tape Op listeners can get a special offer by going to yousician.com slash Tape Op.
1: Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Op Podcast. Adrian Casado first made a name for himself as a founding member and producer of the Grammy-winning Latin rock big band Grupo Fantasma. Since then he has been writing and working on several projects. Most recently he partnered with songwriter Eric Burton and formed Black Pumas, an Austin, Texas based band that has just released their debut album on ATO Records. It's a collection of classic soul-flavored tracks and great songwriting, but is not simply a retro retread. Taking cues from hip-hop and psychedelic genres, and pairing them with a mix of classic and modern recording techniques, and a live, off-the-floor approach, the Black Pumas have created a future classic of their own. I interviewed Adrian back in 2013 for Tape Op issue 94, so having Jeff catch up with him was long overdue. Enjoy.
0: Well, i want to discuss your most recent project black pumas but um which was just nominated for a grammy which uh congratulations on that but before we do that let's fill in the gap between the last time we interviewed you years ago for issue number 94 when you were doing Grupo fantasma um so what what have you been up to in this in that hole between uh that time and and now
2: the last time i spoke to yeah larry crane we had uh recorded an album with my uh, old band called Grupo Fantasma and we had uh, recorded a stu- uh a record in a house we rented a house and just made a makeshift studio and um that was around the time that I really kind of started to to produce and was barely really kind of learning engineering more by out of necessity wanting to get you know most studios I was going to weren't getting the sounds that that I was hearing in my head so that was early on me trying to do that and you know a few years after that I really started to get into producing more um, but I was always playing catch-up as an engineer you know just trying to to, again to get the sounds that I was hearing and uh, I'd say about five or six years ago um, I opened up more of a proper studio and really started kind of investing in equipment and stuff early on it was all pretty pretty lo-fi and uh, just been working on records since I played in a few different bands Um, I can get into some history of other bands and that and projects that i've been a part of but uh you know in terms of the the studio side of it uh, after that was when i really kind of got thrust into producing and, and subsequently engineering um and so in that
0: time i'm assuming you were doing some writing which uh led to um you know what became black pumas
2: yeah that was about two years ago two and a half years ago i had um I had a little bit of down, rare downtime. I had, I had done some songs that had done really well. I'd done these instrumental records with a, a, cohort of mine from the UK named Sean Lee, an awesome producer. If you haven't ever checked him out, engineer, producer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, generally just one of my heroes. Him and I did a, a couple of albums, uh, these transatlantic, uh, collaborations that we did all via email. He, he has a studio, so he would send me drum tracks. He's in the UK and, uh, you know, by the time I saw so because of the time difference, by the time I'd wake up and get to my studio, I'd have drum tracks sitting in my inbox, sometimes with bass lines, so I'd add songs. So anyways, we made a couple of records and had a a little bit of success um getting songs in T V and film. So financially I was at a point finally where I could actually take a little bit of time off and write. And um two thousand seventeen I started this other record that I was working on for Amazon music, a compilation of more kind of a texas latin soul and uh, what happened was i sat down to actually write and record demos for that and I, and i ended up coming up with a bunch of instrumental tracks that you know i was about three or four of them in and i realized like that's not this record but this is something cool whatever it is you know vibe wise i followed that and uh yeah so i recorded a, a batch of a bit huge batch of of uh i made these demos and then brought in some musician friends of mine to play them and recorded this huge batch of kind of soul influenced, uh, kind of psychedelic leaning um, instrumentals. And at first, the the initial intent was for me to have somebody kind of help write those songs and sing on them. And that led me to to meeting um, Eric Burton from the, from the Black Pumas. And at first, he was just kind of helping me out with those songs. But then we, you know, as we started to gain some momentum and have fun working in the studio, we said, "Well, we should make this an official." thing and that's when we started to kind of explore his his songs he was an incredible songwriter and i feel like that's really when we became black pumas you know so we already had the production sort of direction um and then you know when we were able to tap into his his catalog or his you know some of his old songs and and bring them to life in this format it all made sense as an album
0: yeah so with the stuff that you've been writing and then the stuff that he brought to the table it was just sort of serendipitous in terms of the um the production style and the idea like did it translate or was it something where you took his simple demos and tunes and and reworked them to work within the format of a more
2: soul focused um uh, format up until then he had he had uh, performed pretty much solely as a as a uh, solo performer just him and a you know either an acoustic guitar or an electric guitar but he'd, he'd never really performed that much with a band and hadn't really recorded a lot of his material with the band i think he may have had one or two songs that he cut in a studio with musicians but honestly it just his songs also just fit like a glove the direction i mean it was just totally serendipitous that we were able to connect and as soon as he started playing songs it really was it really felt like it was uh just kind of exactly what i was imagining um this project would turn into you know what i mean um you know and his songs really elevated it because i you know as much as uh i like to you know write uh i'm not a a songwriter per se i don't sit and you know i could you couldn't play these songs in a campfire on acoustic guitar i'm not a singer i'm not a lyricist and he really brought that songwriting element to the project and then again his songs completely fit like a glove with the direction we were already heading production-wise and and how did you guys actually end up meeting a mutual uh, producer friend of ours, this guy in my neighborhood, actually, I had I had actually put the feelers out um, around the world, literally, to just a bunch of friends. Um, um, like, again, my friend Sean Lee in the UK, I hit up some friends in LA and was asking anybody, but, and, you know, people would throw out some names and I'd look them up and it was like, uh, for, for lack of a better description, just like too much of like soul like exact soul music and I didn't want to do any like kind of soul revival band i love that that scene a lot of those people are my friends i love that stuff i did i didn't want to do that and um i actually ha- was having lunch with a mutual producer friend of eric and I who lives in my neighborhood and he was picking my brain about some stuff and i remember like walking out to the car we were leaving saying bye and i'm like hey by the way, I was like, hey, do you know anybody who... And, and, I mean, he right away was like, yeah, there's this guy, Eric Burton. He's the best singer I've ever worked with. Um, you should call him. So, yeah, he connected Eric and I.
0: How was this recorded? Were you using sort of classic techniques? Is it just a sound that you were into that just happens to be a little bit more classic? Was it cut live? Can you just tell me a little bit about putting this record together?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, the the uh, I have a sound in my head. And it's kind of as an engineer, like, you know, I have my wheelhouse for sure. And, uh, and it's definitely inspired, you know, I would say, you know, more by music of, uh, you know, previous eras, particularly the, uh, late kind of mid late sixties, early seventies is kind of my favorite era. Not to say that I don't like, you know, hip hop music or any modern music at all, but that's just, that's just my favorite thing. I like the idea as a friend of mine put it of, 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 you know, I discovered a lot of older music, soul music in particular, jazz, funk, etc., through hip-hop music. You know, I'm from that generation where, you know, in the 90s everybody was trying to figure out the samples the producers were using. So, everything to me, I everything is informed um by that, you know, by that influence. So, as a friend of mine put it, you can't pretend that that hip-hop didn't happen. So, you know, I would say that generally my kind of production aesthetic leans towards you know, older eras, 60s and 70s in particular, but uh, you know, I, I I would would like it to make my head nod like a you know, Pete Rock or DJ Premier hip hop production as well. But but again I also and I got my start producing um hip hop actually when I was in college on on drum machines on an MPC two thousand, so everything kinda that I do now is still informed by then. But now I you know, I'm I really into live performance and and getting musicians in a room and how we play off each other you know so initially I started demos by myself based off drum loops and I kind of played everything myself then I brought in musicians um, a crew of about three or four guys and we knocked out about five a day of these of these instrumentals that I started Um, so they're you know inspired by sort of the loop based stuff but all played actually live and so everybody's kind of feeding off each other and playing off each other but we weren't Playing with a singer, you know. So Eric wrote on top of those songs, but then when we became Black Pumas, was really bringing in Eric's songs. And at that point, I felt like to balance out the album, it would be really important to have those songs actually played live. You know, nothing was done to a click track, nothing like that. And uh, sometimes we even kept his scratch vocals. I mean, the performances were just. I wanted it to feel. You know, to really balance out the album, my the songs that I had started felt a little bit more loop based, even though they were they were all played live. There's literally no loops on the record, um, but we performed it as such. And uh, so yeah, it was important when we had that. You know, Eric's songs were really were really pretty much all played live. Um, you know, we'd we'd overdub here and there, fix something here and there, and redo vocals here and there. But but the performances are are, are pretty live
0: yeah you know one of the things I just love about the record and and um sort of immediately attracted me to it and sucked me in was that it does have like a very it has the spirit of these old records without being um cliche or cute and it has it has modernness to it um, but it also has some really some things about it that that we all love about those classic soul records um um i was gonna ask you like w- looking back at some of those classics what do you think it, it is um and it's not i'm not talking about specific recording techniques or microphones but what do you think
2: it is about those records that keep them relevant it's kind of that's a good question i mean i wonder what you know i would say a lot of it is i think the human element of people playing together live you know that that's a a tangible thing that that kind of gets overlooked nowadays not that not that nobody's doing that but i think back then all music was made like that you know was largely made by humans playing in a room together and there's just something about that the happy accidents i'm huge on that kind of stuff that i think make it to where it's less uh kind of watered down and and uh perfect and i think some of the imperfect nature of of music from that era is what makes it timeless you know you uh it's it when you kind of go back and fix everything and and don't have that surprise element of people playing ideas off each other um there's not as much to grasp onto i think maybe you know because it's just so absolutely perfect that uh you know so i feel like i i have to keep some limitations in the studio to to achieve that and not go back and fix everything digitally you know yeah by no means am i any sort of purist but i just generally prefer so you usually start with a um a one inch eight track machine and yeah we we generally start everything there and i like the limitations of that of just not overdoing the tracks and making and just committing you know just uh i don't like to put too many mics on drums or anything like that and then from there typically bounce to the computer and you know because uh I don't have the the chops or the budget or the time to run a full uh make a full record on tape, you know, I def- definitely uh embrace that it's 2019 and computers are pretty awesome and plugins have gotten a lot better and everything. So d- you know, try to find the happy medium of the two and embrace embrace every every tool that you have. I don't feel like um the tools define the music. You know, you can have the best analog everything and if your songs suck, they're still going to suck. So, you know, I think like uh, the, the, that's some of my favorite engineers have that attitude that like, look, man, it's not the mic. It's not the gear. It's not anything. The songs have to be good. The musicians have to be good, but you know, there is a certain aesthetic that I think, um, you know, kind of older equipment and particularly, you know, uh, having the limitations of tape and stuff do bring out. Yeah. So
0: can you give me an example of how you would set that up with eight tracks for, uh, cutting the tracks?
2: Yeah, yeah, for the Pumas record in particular it was, you know, say like bass guitar, keys, um when Eric when it was Eric's songs that we brought in, there you know one more guitar cuz he's an incredible uh guitarist as well. Uh scratch vocal and then that usually leaves four drums on the mic. I mean, uh, four mics on the drums. Sometimes I do three and just do one crazy mic, but typically do about four mics on the drums and kind of try to vary that up a little bit. You know, I'm big on just the overhead sound. I just like the sound of drums like that. You know, I like that spatial kind of relationship of of feeling like the room, you know, versus like every mic, every drum mic'd up and feeling everything in your face. I feel like that's, you know, like those modern 4k TV or whatever you call the like super HD TVs where everything just looks unnatural because it's so perfect. Um, you know, I like the, the distance that a room mic guess so i mainly play off the room mic and then a a drum mic in the heart uh of the drums just right on top of the kick drum and then a kick and snare um sometimes i guess actually on the early tracks there was even a fifth mic sometimes a, a bottom snare mic or just something random but you know typically around four mics on the drums is what i average and then from there it's just bass drums i mean bass guitar keys vocals
0: an interesting and fun sounding record especially in the days uh where things are often just smashed and
2: yeah yeah my, i get i get uh my ears get exhausted listening to to stuff that's just too heavy duty like that i mean there's a time and a place for it you know but uh and actually for the next record i'm kind of looking to push things a little bit just to vary it up but but i generally like you know i like uh things with a little tiny bit of a lighter touch
0: yeah I mean, when I listened to Black Pumas and then uh, Grupo Fantasma back to back, which I was doing, sort of thinking about talking to you. I mean, there's such a common tone, and that's your guitar sound. But um, you know, this, this is this is a very different trajectory than that band, obviously, because it was a, it was a big band essentially. Um, yeah. But um, it's fun to hear a very con- you know common
2: commonality, which is your playing. Um, oh, thanks, man. Yeah, with that Grupo I did produce two for Grupo 1 we did at a at Wire Recording which is a, a good friend and kind of mentor of ours named Stuart Sullivan and and we did that record with all natural reverbs pretty almost. We did a few uh, kind of spring reverbs but we tried to like use room mics and reamp things and stuff. And then on the second one, the one that I actually engineered we uh just rented a bunch of gear in a house and we're like, man, how come this doesn't sound like Stewart's? We're like, oh, because we don't have the API and the awesome like little reverb chamber that he has and all that stuff. So it's kind of like this lo-fi, like you know, sounds like a living room in a house version of what <laughs> we're trying to do. What Stewart did, that was like the first thing I'd ever really engineered.
0: How is it right now? Austin's a very different place than it was 20 years ago to be making music. Can you ca- just kind of weigh in on where you think music has gone there? And and you know that's this is happening a lot of places where Austin used to be this little cool town that had a you know and it still does have a rich music you know community and history, but you know it's it's just tilted towards tech so heavily. Um, what do you think that's done to the scene and and you know the music?
1: Um.
2: Well, it's it's made it harder for a lot of musicians to, to afford living here. You know, I moved here like twenty years ago and bought a house, fourteen years ago. So that was a uh, you know, there's no way I could afford right now to move here at back at that age and like buy a house. So a lot of people are actually just kind of posting up right outside of Austin and little. There's tons of little towns around here. A lot of friends have moved studios outside of town, but. Um, to be honest it's it's different for sure because it's not it doesn't revolve exa- totally around the music kind of like it used to there's so much going on here now but man there's still a really a very very rich musical community and it's it's very different from LA in in on one hand it's like we don't have the industry here except for South by Southwest and a couple of festivals um that they do in LA and New York so sometimes there is missed opportunities for people but there's a culture here of people that support live music like literally no other place in the world and i i'm not just saying that you know to blow smoke up austin's ass because but because i've literally i just came from you know uh, all over the world and there's literally no other place like it where there's live music every night and yeah not all of it's good of course you can, there's that argument but man there is a the level of musicianship here is very high and if you're going to be um playing and and part of the scene and stuff generally the the aesthetic is very real and and there's a level of musicianship and and respect and admiration and there you know there's some bands that have made it huge out of here but they don't have the industry like they do in a bunch of cities where there's no shortcuts uh to to you know uh being out there in the industry but but it's also the only kind of place one of the only places where oh well this is not exactly true but th- but there is an ex- a huge uh t- pool of talent here where you can you know for a producer like myself who who works on a lot of music um you know I mean I have a huge rolodex in my iPhone of you know if this person's not available there's another eight amazing musicians I can find and that informed a lot of who played on the record who plays in the band and everything is that the talent pool is deep there's a lot of a lot of incredible musicians here.
0: Well, let's talk about a couple of the tunes on the record. I, I picked four that are standout favorites for me that I that I go back to. And if you're up for it, I would love to just dig into them just a little bit. And the first tune on the record is one of those tunes, "Black Moon Rising." Um, can you give me a little bit of the backstory on that
1: one?
2: Yeah, that was a uh, uh, the instrumental for that was written. That was uh, on the solar eclipse of 2017. I don't remember the day, but you remember that in 2017 you weren't supposed to look look at the sun or whatever. Well, of course I walked out without those glasses. Everybody had those glasses. Um, I had to go run an errand, and of course I looked up straight at the sun, and uh, and man, it, it just sent me into this daze for the day where I thought I had to come home and Google like, you know, if I, if you could go blind from from that but i was seeing just it, it was kind of psychedelic you know and just came home and walked into my studio I was kind of scared at first that i've made damage my eyes because everything looked crazy but i immediately just sat down and and made a demo for black moon rising it must have taken me like half an hour um and that was the first song that eric actually eric and i recorded i believe uh if not the second but yeah, I feel like that one just established the mood right away for what we were doing. You know, that, so that that to me is a big one in terms of that's why we opened the record with it. Uh, it's like that one just sets the tone of what we were, you know, what we were trying to do. That's, you know, a hip-hop influenced kind of soul-leaning song. And then Eric, I so I, put, I always put ti- uh, weird titles on the demos so that I don't forget um, what they are, you know. And uh, so I called it Solar Eclipse. I sent that to Eric and he ran with that that theme and made it um black moon
0: rise the clouds sunshine
2: How about colors yeah yeah that's an that's an old song of eric's that he um has always performed acoustic and that may have been the first one i saw when i looked him up on youtube so uh you know he's never uh play, really played that with a band much he always just played that but he's been he wrote that one years ago um on his uncle's rooftop and i mean i i heard it and was like man this song is is special you know a, a hit per se as as they say but uh so yeah, by that point in the album, I really felt like it would be important to capture that one live. We were already starting to kind of play live as a band, and um, and I felt like really that would balance that out. And you know, there was two directions to go with that one, either make, try to make it a pop, you know, super catchy kind of loop-based production or go live, and, and I, I opted to go as live as possible. I think most of that song, if I remember correctly, a lot of that is maybe his original vocal on the track that he cut live and uh, so yeah that one you know I left it just kind of with the, the band
0: Um, how about know you better
2: um know you better was from the original batch of instrumentals that i had as well uh and that was another one where kind of the drums were were a big part of uh of what influenced you know how, how we all played and how the song was written that was a uh, jj johnson incredible drummer here in austin who played on that it's based off of uh one of my other kind of favorite drum patterns and i played it from one time turned it off and he said all right so he he started playing that and i really like this era of the the temptations where things were they were kind of doing that psychedelic soul thing it was norman whitfield was the producer and uh he was really influenced by that when making uh this record and i think that that one nods to some of that
0: How do you uh separate the roles, those roles between producer, engineer, band member, and maintain some objectivity?
2: Yeah, as of now I, I kinda see it all all one in the same. You know, I uh, the, you know, as far in terms of the guitar parts, it's just so specific to what I want. Um if anything if there's anything where I know what I want, it's the guitar parts, you know. So uh um I really you know at some point as a producer you think well you can just be the producer and not be the guitar player but i'm just so particular about that again i'm i'm this is just uh, i'm so particular about everything with this i've learned i've worked on other projects where i've learned to let go and just be the artist you know and and finally uh work with other producers and i've learned so much doing that just going showing up and playing guitar but man this one is just so particular with everything i'm hearing that i i feel like uh you know, I have to be at the helm on those those things. And uh, what's next? Do you guys plan on making another Black Pumas record? Or are you working on other things? Oh, uh, man, we're touring pretty much nonstop for a while. and But we're still writing. We actually have a few demos, a few unreleased songs, and constantly trading ideas. We just haven't had... You know, I'm home for a week. Just enough time to... Make sure my life doesn't fall apart. So it's hard to like find, really commit to studio time. But we're talking about we we're itching to both get back. As much as Eric loves live performing, uh, or performing live and and being on stage, he also really likes to, to write songs. So I know that we're both itching to get back. And I'm hearing, you know, of course, as as an engineer, um, I you know I it's hard for me to hear the last record without just hearing things I could do better as an engineer you know uh every one record to the next i hear it and i'm like oh man i, I could totally do that better and i've better this and better that you know so i'm itching to also just get back cuz i'm hearing a sound in my head as well and as a producer this is just the perfect situation for what i like to do you know you have a singer and songwriter like eric and a band like we have now and the the band that played on the record is different from the live band but it's just per. It's a producer's dream, you know, to, to have all these tools at your disposal and and start uh kind of putting it all together. Awesome,
0: man. Well, I think we got it. Awesome. Well, thank you, man.
1: Thanks for listening. Find us online at tapeop.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time. Where you at, man?